Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Curtis. This is show number 82, interview on the Escapes Radio Talk Show. On February 9th, 2009, I was a guest on the Escapes Radio Talk Show hosted by Anne Lombardi of the Trip Chicks, who, along with Wendy Swartzel, run the Atlanta area travel company Passport to Adventure. During the show, we discussed several of the issues around the previous month's ditching accident involving a U.S. Airways A320 in New York, including what can be done about bird strike hazards and how passengers should deal with fear of flying. We're back with the second half of Travel Talk Escape, 1620 a.m. Don't forget to tune in every Monday from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern at 1620 a.m. and also on the web. We have podcasting as well. So we are have the timely, timely guest this afternoon. He's stepped up to the plate at the very last minute, and we're, I've been trying to get him for quite a while. We're delighted to have on the show Dr. Todd Curtis. He is best known for his website, airsafe.com. He was a former airline safety analyst with Boeing, and he's written a book called Understanding Aviation Safety. His expertise has been highlighted by numerous news organizations, including the Washington Post, Time Magazine, CNN, the New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal. Welcome, Dr. Curtis. Oh, thank you, Anne. Thanks for having me today. And, you, and I'm, I'm, you know, you couldn't have come, come on the show at a better time. I tell you, especially last night with that remarkable sequence on 60 Minutes with the flight crew of 15, U.S. Air 1549 that pitched into the, did the pitch in the Hudson, as well as, of course, this morning, I think on the Today Show, all the, the crew was interviewed as well. A lot of questions we get as travel agents, but of course are unable to and unqualified to answer, are questions about bird strikes. Tell us about bird strikes. What can be done? Is there anything that can be done to prevent something like this from ending in a less positive way? Well, uh, me being on your show is timely in yet another way. As it turns out, uh, one of my areas of expertise when I was at Boeing was understanding uh, wildlife strikes, especially bird strikes, to uh, aircraft. Back in 95, I was part of the on-the-scene investigation crew when the AWACS was uh, taken down by geese up in Alaska back in September of 95. So I've had a long and ongoing relationship with many of the big players in the bird hazard community, both in the U.S. and elsewhere. So this was one of those events where we used to talk about it. What will we do as a community if there was ever the mother of all bird strikes, the bird strike event that was so outrageous, so um, so well known to the public, that all eyes would be on this issue, and what will we do about it? And fortunately, um, not only have the, obviously the people in the airplane did the, the right job by landing and having everyone survive, but the safety community, bird hazard community and elsewhere have come to the forefront and have been front and center getting the word out trying to tell the public what kind of hazard we have what kind of steps we have done and things we can do in the future i see it, you know i don't have any background at all in aeronautics so i don't understand really how they the in, the birds can be ingested by the engine. I, I don't understand how that can happen. I guess they could, they're just kind of sucked in or something? It's as simple as that. The birds, if they're in front of the jet engine, and of course a jet engine is sucking up a tremendous amount of air, it's so powerful that even if the airplane is idling on the ground, there's a zone in front of each engine where maintenance crews aren't supposed to stand because they, they would be in danger of being sucked in. 
So it's one of those things where if an aircraft encounters a flock of birds and you have them go into the engine, there's always the possibility of having damage to that engine to the point that the engine would shut down. And it looks in this case that both engines were simultaneously either taken out completely or had the thrust reduced tremendously by those birds. You know, I, I just was wondering, I know with the sound of the engines, the loud sound in, in the sky, I guess the idea, I mean, I just thought of this as a civilian on my own, would there be any like high-pitched, loud, loud radar or something that they could turn on to repel the birds so they'd scatter, or is it just not feasible? I mean, how, how can you deal with this issue? Well, you would be amazed at the range of things that are done, both on the ground and in the air, and that have been tested to try and uh, deal with birds. I've seen everything from lasers being fired in the direction of birds to sort of like get their attention uh, from the visual of the, of the light to having various sound, uh, warning sounds uh, transmitted on the ground near air, airport runways so that they wouldn't be near the runways. I've, I've seen border collies being used to herd birds away from runways. Uh, people with uh, shotguns that fire, essentially firecrackers to scare them, as well as uh, shotguns that actually shoot birds. So we have a range of things that can be done. Now, this particular event, they were actually away from the airport. They'd taken off. They were at about 3,200 feet, and they encountered a flock of supposedly uh, geese. And that's the kind of thing where, although you can do a lot of things near the airport, once you're in the sky... You know, it's one of those natural things. Birds tend to fly in flocks, and uh, they tend to fly wherever they feel like flying. And that day, they flew in right in front of that A320. Do birds show up on a radar? I mean, are they so tiny? Would a, would geese, a flock of geese show up on a radar screen? An air traffic controller would see anything? Or I'm glad you, you mentioned that because, yes, they can show up on radar. However, the radars that are normally used for air traffic control are dialed down to the point that you don't actually see objects. For example, the, when you see those television shows when you have a radar scope of the air traffic controller and all these blocks of numbers are marching across the screen, what's happening is that there's an electronic device on the aircraft that actually reflects back a signal with all that data whenever it feels a radar signal hit it. So what the air traffic controllers are seeing are not the actual aircraft, but the blocks of data shot back by these devices. And birds, unfortunately, don't carry those devices. So unless you have a very powerful radar, the kind that you would see in a military uh, environment, you're not going to see the birds on the radar in the uh, air traffic controller station or in the uh, airport tower. You know, it, to me, it's just, just shocking to, to think that a flock of birds, I guess they're traveling at such high speed and just the velocity, they're hit, hitting the engine is enough to cause huge damage or as we see bring down, uh, basically in, disable an aircraft. What, what other w suggestions do you have or is, is there any remedy to this, this huge problem? One of the things that have been done over the decades that has been very, very effective has been a very intense regulatory environment where the aircraft manufacturers have a very specific set of design criteria they have to meet. For example, the aircraft that was involved in the accident last month, the engines on the aircraft are authorized, or rather they're required to ingest a four-pound bird and keep developing thrust for five minutes. And they're also required to the aircraft structure. It's required, most of it, to withstand the impact of a four-pound bird up to about 250 miles an hour. So that takes care of a lot of the situations that are out there. 
But of course, anyone who's seen geese uh, around parks and such and swans, you know that they can get way bigger than four pounds. So the requirements take care of most of the problem, but not all of the problem. This is Travel Talk Escape, 1620 AM. We are speaking with noted aviation safety expert and author, Dr. Todd Curtis, and his website, airsafe.com, is something you should look up. We'll be right back. Stay with us on 1620. Dr. Todd Curtis of airsafe.com, the noted aviation safety expert and author of Understanding Aviation Safety Data is with us on the show today by phone. And Dr. Curtis, did we leave out any important questions about the nature of bird strikes? Is there any other insider's insight that you'd like to share with us? Oh, absolutely. Uh, One of the most important things that I like to point out to people is that bird strikes are actually rather common, especially events where the aircraft is damaged. That being said, aircraft are designed and crews are trained so that in most cases, What seems to be a very serious event ends up being something that no one even hears about. And I'll just give you one example. This is from August of 2007. There was a 737 taking off from El Paso, and the aircraft encountered a a huge bird at 14,000 feet to the point that they had to don oxygen masks because they were losing pressure. And even though they had loud noises in the cockpit, even though one of the windshields of the cockpit was damaged, they turned around and landed, and no one was injured. Now, had the crew not been well-trained, had there not been procedures in place to deal with this sort of thing, that could have easily been a catastrophic event. But the average person will never hear of this because, frankly, if no one gets hurt, it's not a newsworthy item, and in my opinion, that's a good thing. But inside the aviation community, especially the bird hazard community, these are events we hear about all the time, and we're constantly putting pressure on the regulators, on the airports, on the aircraft designers saying, look, here's our understanding of what's going on. Please do something to address this. And uh, the community gives suggestions. The people within the FAA and within the manufacturing community, they also give suggestions. And behind the scenes, there's always uh, changes going on. There are always improvements being made to procedures, to manufacturing, to the structure, to keep these problems from getting big. Well, I guess there's no way, due to the nature of engine thrust and whatnot, that you can actually put a, a bulletproof shield over the over the engine somehow, or I, I don't know, I guess because of the air and whatnot. I mean, what do you see yourself as an expert as a possible way to decrease the likelihood of, of dangerous uh, bird strikes that actually impair the airlines greatly? Well, the most effective, the most effective method of reducing a threat, and it's something that's been implemented for decades, is reduce the number of birds near airports. Now, um, the people in the bird hazard community are not anti-bird. As we like to joke, we're pro-bird. We absolutely are supporting uh, Endangered Species Acts and other acts of Congress and international treaties that protect uh, endangered species. But there are some kinds of birds, for example, the common Canada goose, where you have the Canada geese who migrate every year, and there's a branch of the Canada goose family that enjoys where they're living. They would live year-round in parks, near airports, etc. And although they're part of the natural environment, they're not exactly endangered. So a lot of times you might see the airport moving in and taking out birds that are not endangered, reducing their numbers, uh, doing things to make the environment not very attractive for them, and reducing that threat. 
and that has gone a long way toward reducing serious threats at major airports. I guess there's no way to monitor the migratory paths of the, the Canadian geese so an air, um, aircraft can avoid somehow I mean, I guess you'd never know, but would there be a no-fly zone of so airlines could avoid coming into the path of, of, of flocks of birds? Well, I'll tell you, within the United States, the organizations that have the best handle on this is actually the military, because they tend to do a lot of flying, very low altitude, and training and such. And the uh, safety communities within the military are very mindful of migratory patterns, and they're often... Uh, producing warnings to their flight crew saying, hey, this area or this military training zone might be a high threat area for birds this week, so let's uh, back off on training activity. And even within the civilian community, uh, airport authorities, air traffic controllers often give uh, warnings of birds in the vicinity or birds reported at the end of the runway sort of thing. But because of the very fluid nature of the threat, uh, even if a pilot gets a timely warning, a minute ago, someone saw birds at the end of the runway. Well, birds tend to fly and move around. So even if you have a very good system in place, things change very rapidly. So it's a combination of the flight crews, the ground crews, the air traffic controllers, all working together to sort of make the problem known and give people a chance to avoid them. I see. Are you, would you venture to say that the most common, the bird strikes most commonly take place at the beginning of the flight, close to the airport, or are there bird strikes throughout uh, an airline's um, flight pattern? Well, birds can, can strike at cruising altitude down to ground level, but uh, studies by Bird Strike Committee USA, the FAA, and others have shown that roughly half of all the noted strikes happen within about 50 feet of the ground which is why such a great effort is, is expended toward dealing with airport-related problems. And the vast majority of the strikes that take place, whether it's on the ground or in the air, actually cause no damage. Uh, when I was within Boeing, the most common kind of report I, I would see would be, well, uh, they noted there was a smear of a bird strike on the wing. There wasn't any damage. We don't know when it happened. We buffed it and shined it, and the airplane went back into business. Or we had a very tiny piece of damage, we fixed the fan blade, everything's okay, the airplane's flying. And very often we really don't know where the strike happened. We just know that there was a strike, and sometimes there's an effect of that strike. Usually just minor damage to the aircraft, but on occasion very major damage. I see. Uh, the whole issue about the, to me as a civilian, it, it looked almost like a, miracul a miraculous um, way that the, the pilot handled the pilot and the entire crew, I might add, the, uh, the situation on U.S. Air 1549. To you as an aviation expert, did it seem also like a, a really amazing um, success story? I mean, or would this be something that maybe even a less well-trained pilot could have done successfully? Well, I'll address the, the last part first. A less well-trained pilot, someone who doesn't have the kind of training that an airline pilot in the state has, that kind of crew would not have been able to handle the situation because there are many things that happen in a very short space of time. And there are unique aspects to this, the most unique being not just the bird strike, which is rare in and of itself, but ditching the aircraft. This is actually only the fourth successful ditching of an aircraft in the jet era when it comes to passenger airliners that we've ever been able to find at airsafe.com. Wow. And only the second time a ditching has happened where everyone survived. Oh, my word. We're going to continue our discussion with our aviation safety expert, Dr. Todd Curtis, when we return. 
I'm Anne Lombardi. I'm one of the Trip Chicks, longtime tour guide, travel agent, and travel aficionado, and we're delighted to be speaking this second half of the show with Dr. Todd Curtis, who is the founder and publisher of airsafe.com. He also is the author of a book called Understanding Aviation Safety Data. But on your website is a whole lot more information other than just about airline safety records. What else can a listener find on your website, Dr. Curtis? Well, over the last 13 years the site's been in operation, we've expanded to areas that are of interest to passengers. And although we have a lot of data on fatal events with airliners, we also have things such as suggestions of how to go through the TSA security process, what's allowed and what's not allowed on aircraft, uh, tips on how to safely pack your bags for safety reasons and also to reduce the likelihood of, of theft and problems from theft as well as a variety of things dealing with uh, travel with children, for instance. We've uh, compiled several good pieces of information that are all around the Internet from the FAA and elsewhere and put it in one handy package. And one of the things we've done in the last year, we've really expanded the use of videos. And through the site, you can look at a number of our videos, including one of our most popular ones this past month, which is the six basic crash positions with illustrations and how one should... Uh, uh, brace yourself in an airplane in case there's an emergency. And although we often hear about, yes, you should brace if there's an accident, uh, we didn't see any visual instructions on how to do this, so we put together a video and put that out there. That's very, very helpful indeed. And also you deal with uh, passenger fear of flying issues as well. I'm, I'm sure that uh, the people who are a little bit um, uneasy when they fly might even be more so now that they've heard about how common bird strikes are. What do you? What can you say to? Can you give our listeners some of your top recommendations, top tips for passengers who are afraid of flying? Well, the the first, uh, the most important thing I tell people is that if you feel that you're afraid of flying, accept that fear is real. Don't try and deny it. Don't uh, listen to other people saying, "Oh, you shouldn't be afraid because of the numbers." The fear of flying often has very little to do with the actual risk of being injured or killed uh, during a flight. And myself, even though I'm a licensed pilot, even though I've had years of experience in the aviation safety world, I'm often apprehensive when I'm a passenger, not because I know what might go wrong, but because I'm kind of a control freak. I'd rather know what's going on. I'd rather have the information that the pilot's getting in the cockpit. But as a passenger, I don't have that. So when there's a, a bump or a jiggle, I get apprehensive intellectually, I know it's nothing. But mentally, emotionally, I say to myself, gosh, I'd rather see what the dials are saying right now and I'd feel better. And other people might get very, very agitated at the thought of going through security, at the thought that possibly they might have to be physically searched by a TSA official. That in itself might put them over the edge, and uh, they might manifest what looks like fear of flying, but it's actually an apprehension about the flying process. So I tell people, uh, understand some of the basics of fear of flying, and if you feel that you have to get treatment for it, go out there and look and see what might work for you. But the number one thing is fear of flying is real, and it's often not anything to do with your risk. Interesting, interesting point of view. Uh, a while back we did interview one of uh, the former USAToday.com columnist, uh, asked the captain, Captain Meryl Getline, who is one of the first female jumbo jet pilots, and she explained it to, to us this way, that 
I, I know a lot of clients and passengers are afraid of the of turbulence. I mean, I will confess I feel a little bit nervous or white knuckle, like I have to grip the the seat in a white knuckle kind of way when there's turbulence. She explained it to me as fear of don't be afraid of waves. I mean, it's like waves in an ocean. And ever since she told me that, I do feel calmer about it. But you're right. Passengers do have to admit readily that they have a fear of flying and acknowledge it. Uh, I think that's a very, very good um, point of view to, to take. We have just one more minute before we wrap things up here. Do you have any other, any closing words of, of, of wisdom? We, uh, you have so much expertise, it's hard to just give you a minute more. What would you like to tell our listeners, Dr. Curtis, before we wrap things up here today? Certainly. There's one point I'd like to make, especially in light of the media blitz that's happening because of what happened with the U.S. Airways event. And it's right that the media is paying attention to it. It's a very dramatic, very happy ending kind of story. But one thing I would recommend to people is that when you hear people talking about this, whether it's an, uh, an expert like myself or even some of the flight crew members or the passengers, take it with a grain of salt. That is, it's great that we had a happy ending but we really don't understand the dynamics of what happened in, in that accident just yet. Uh, it will take months before the NTSB comes to a conclusion as to what really happened. We know the outcome, and it was a good outcome, but we can't jump and make con jump to conclusions just yet about what exactly happened and why. Excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on Travel Talk Escapes today, Dr. Curtis, and again, his excellent website is airsafe.com. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me. The NTSB investigation of the U.S. Airways accident is still in its early stages. For updates on this investigation, and for links to related items and to the latest news from airsafe.com, please visit hudson.airsafe.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.